There is a word from the Lord found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, the 8th chapter of that New Testament book of Acts. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 26. I'm not going to take for granted that there may be some people who are in person or online who may not have heard this story. So I'm going to read 13 verses today. I know that's a lot, but just some of us ain't read all week. So this is, this is we're going to read the Bible today. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse number 26. I'm reading from the New Revived Standard Version. And it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before his chariot, he, so he does not open his mouth in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from this earth. The unit asks Philip, about whom may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? Then Philip began to speak and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Amen. The text says in verse number 38 that Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. I want to speak from this thought. The day black excellence was baptized. The day black excellence was baptized. They say that the average listener in a public speaking forum only gives you seven minutes of engagement. So if that is the case, then I'm already losing a few of you all already. So I want to give you my sermon in a sentence from the jump before I lose you in the next four minutes. The road to destiny often goes through the wilderness. The road to destiny often goes through the wilderness. I bring that up because the apostle Philip is leaving Jerusalem, and as he is departing Jerusalem, 
the Spirit of the Lord told him to go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And in verse 26, in parentheses, if you skipped over it, you would have missed it. This is a wilderness road. And Philip, being obedient to the Lord his God, finds his way in the wilderness, on this road in the wilderness. But before he gets in verse 26, verse 1 of Acts 8 speaks of the fact that Saul and the enemies of the Christian faith intensified the persecution. They turned up the persecution to a whole nother level. And Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, but in Acts 8, he is in charge of killing Christians, arresting Christians. In fact, the writer Luke says that he goes from house to house looking for Christians and arresting them, throwing them into the prison. And the Bible says that while all this is happening, the disciples scatter about. They move from Jerusalem and they go into these other nations because they are afraid of the persecution that is taking place. So once the persecution intensified, now all of the disciples and apostles are scattered about the land. And when they are scattered about, they're not just going hiding, they're going preaching and teaching the Word of God. In fact, when Jesus ascended into heaven, before Jesus ascended, after he resurrected, he had a pep talk with his disciples, and he told them, I want you to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, that didn't happen. And after Jesus ascended in, onto the, into the heavens, onto the right hand of the Father, the disciples stayed right there in Jerusalem until the persecution intensified until problems set in, until pain and difficulties set in in the disciples' life, until now, in this painful environment, that's when purpose began to be fulfilled. You missed it. Persecution set in so that purpose can be fulfilled. Had it not been for the intensified persecution, had persecution not intensified, the disciples would have stayed stagnant in Jerusalem. But Jesus says, no, I don't want you to be in Jerusalem. I need you to go to Judea, to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And since you ain't going to do it on your own, I'm going to bring some persecution in your life to get you to fulfill some purpose. Because every now and again, God will allow persecutions to set in to push us to purpose. God would allow difficulties to set in to push us to our destiny. God would allow frustrations to set in to push us to our future. So, if you are just like those disciples and apostles in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 who are experiencing persecution and difficulties and pain more than likely, God is going to use what you are experiencing as transportation to the place that God has for you. I'm reminded of LeBron James in 2017, 2018. This was probably one of his best shooting seasons of his career. And this is the year in which that summer he hurt his elbow and tweaked his elbow in a way that it altered his shooting, his shooting form. He, 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 he got hurt in the summer. He hurt his elbow. 
and the pain that he experienced in his elbow changed and altered his shooting form to the point where that was the best shooting season in his entire career, all because he got hurt, tweaked his elbow, altered his shooting form, and became one of the best shooting seasons of his entire career. Had it not been for the pain, he would have never experienced success. Because oftentimes, pain will get us to alter our approach to life. Pain and difficulties will have you change up and alter how we approach what God is getting us to do. And this is what's going on in Acts chapter 8. Pain and difficulty set in. So as a result, the disciples, they scatter about. They fulfill the purpose that God had for them all because the persecution intensified. And so now Philip, he goes from Jerusalem. He goes over to Samaria. He's not hiding out. He's preaching the good news. Folk are saved. Folk are healed. And now by the time we get to verse 26, Philip hears a voice of an angel of the Lord and tells him, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. There's a place that I have for you. I want you to get to this particular place. But in order for you to get to this place, you got to go through the wilderness. There's a road in the wilderness because oftentimes in order for us to get to the place that God has for you, God will arrange a wilderness on your behalf. God every now and again will escort us and lead us and guide us into a wilderness type of environment. The wilderness, dry, desert, isolated, the wilderness, you don't want to go in the wilderness. You don't want to be in the wilderness. But oftentimes in this journey that we have with God, our walk with Christ often leads us into a wilderness experience. Because every now and again, before God uses you, God got to take you through the wilderness. Before God can get the best out of you, God has to escort you into the wilderness. Before God can you, matter of fact, before God can not just bless you, but bless somebody through you, God every now and again will have to escort you into the wilderness experience. Oh, y'all quiet. Y'all must be in the wilderness this morning. It's in the wilderness where God develops you, where God speaks to you, where God blesses. And oftentimes the blessings that we receive and retrieve are found in the wilderness. The children of Israel, before they could experience the promised land, they had to go by the wilderness. Hagar and Ishmael, before God could bless her child, they had to, they had to go through the wilderness. Even Jesus, before that he could be used by God, he had to spend some time fasting and dealing with Satan, even in the wilderness. And it's oftentimes that you can, you can do all the right things. You can, be, you, you, you can obey the voice of God in tune and in touch with the Spirit of God. And even still, the Spirit will lead you into the wilderness so just because you are in the wilderness, it doesn't mean that you miss God. That just because you're in a dry season, it doesn't mean that you misheard God. Oftentimes, the very fact that you are in the wilderness is proof that you have been obedient to the voice of God. It's almost like that prophet Ezekiel. 
The Bible says that Ezekiel was picked up by the spirit, but then bro was dropped in the middle of a valley full of dry bones. He's in a low down, dead, broken place. And it wasn't because he missed God, but it was because he was in the hand of God. And oftentimes, you being in the wilderness is proof that you are right where God needs you to be. And this is where Philip finds himself. He finds himself being obedient to the word of God, but he's in the wilderness. But the good news is that there was a road in the wilderness. I love it. I almost called that, I almost called this sermon that a road in the wilderness. Because when you are in the wilderness, we think that God has forsaken us. We think that God has turned God's back on us. We think that God has no longer turned a listening ear towards us. But no, God has a road for you even in the wilderness. A road in the wilderness? Yeah. Road is hope. Road is direction. Road is clarity. Road is a path. Road is a purpose. Road is a future. And oftentimes, you being in the wilderness, if you're not careful, you allow your wilderness experience to blind you from the road that God is constructing for your life. Don't miss the road because you're caught in the wilderness. God will place a road for you to get you to the place that God has for you. But oftentimes we get caught up in the fact that we are in the wilderness, that we miss God working in the wilderness. But Philip learned that day that he wasn't the only one in the wilderness. There was somebody else that was experiencing a wilderness encounter. And the Bible describes this man not by name, but he, they, they, uh, this, Luke is writing this story. He describes him as an Ethiopian, as a treasurer, as somebody with position and title, with somebody with possession, with somebody with, with uh, intelligence and intellect, and they describe him as a eunuch. He is an Ethiopian eunuch. He is the treasurer for the queen of Kandika in Ethiopia. He is being being driven, he is riding on a chariot that is being driven by, by, by somebody else, a servant, and he has a scroll. He is reading the scroll. This is a man of black excellence, but black excellence is still traveling through the wilderness. Okay, let me break it down for you because I went too fast. I went too fast real quick. Um, all right, let's bring it all the way down. He's Ethiopian. Okay, so if he's Ethiopian, that means he's from Ethiopia. Okay, so y'all wait. Okay, cool. So we all know where Ethiopia is. Where is Ethiopia? In Africa. Now, this is important because many of us have been brainwashed, or should I say whitewashed, into thinking that everything that's in the Bible is white. Yeah, all quiet. But here is a man who is from Africa. He is a black man from Africa, and he is in the Bible. 
But before we think that he is the only black man in the Bible, Dr. Theron Williams says that the Bible is black history. He says that when you are looking for black people in the Bible, it's, you're, you're not looking for a needle in the haystack because the hay is black. <laughs> when you're looking for white folks in the Bible, then now you're looking for a needle in the haystack. It is said that Luke is the only white writer in the Bible. So to say that the Bible is a white man's book written by white men for white men is a false ideology. It is a lie. It is what some may call an alternative truth. So we got to spend time to deal with the fact that this man is Ethiopian because some of us think that everything that comes out of the Bible is white. So we got friends and loved ones and family members who have turned their back on the faith because they think that the faith has been created and curated by white people for white people. But I love this particular story because the Bible shows us that here is a white man in Luke writing about a black man from Africa encountering a Jewish man from Jerusalem and all of them are pointing us back to Jesus. And it's a black man from Ethiopia, he, he's from Ethiopia, from Africa. And, and I love it because he is, he is showcasing his black excellence. Now, this black excellence in, in the Bible looks a lot different than the black excellence in America. Because if you look up the term black in dictionary, you're going to get all kind of stuff that ain't got nothing to do with excellence. You're going to get gangster, you're going to get thug, you're going to get evil. You're going to get all of these words, these, these negative words that that, that, that try to make us think that black is somehow negative, that black is somehow bad, that black is somehow a, a criminal or thuggish or sexual. And so now our stereotypes of what black excellence is, is only limited to what we can do on the basketball court, on the football field, on the track. It's only limited to what we can do on TV, on the stage, in the movie theater. But I love this image of black in the Bible because the image of black in the Bible is showing us black excellence at its highest level. Because here is a black man from Africa who is a man of wealth. I know he's a man of wealth because he runs the finances of the of the empire of Ethiopia. When you go and do your research, you'll discover that Ethiopia was one of the most thriving empires in the history of humanity. So here is a brother, he's a black man, and he is, he is a man of wealth, not just individual wealth, but he ran and managed his money so good individually that the queen said, I need you to come and run the money nationally. And so here is a black man. He, he understands how to manage his money and he has possessions. I know he got possessions because he ain't even driving his own chariot. I know he ain't driving his own chariot because the Bible says he's reading while the chariot is moving. So evidently, he got somebody on staff that is riding, driving him while he is reading the scroll. He's a man, he's a black man, he's a man of wealth and possessions, and he is reading from a scroll. We gotta slow down. 
because this is, what, in first century, and so the majority of people during this time didn't even know how to read. So he is the minority. He is reading from a scroll. Ain't no printing presses back then. Ain't no audio book. He couldn't download a book on his iPad. No, he is reading from a scroll. This speaks to the fact that he had some type of money in an attempt to go and even find somebody to make him a scroll. So here is a black, he's a, I'm trying to show you that this is black excellence right here. He has money and wealth. He manages his money. He is a man of intellect. He is reading. He is a man of possession. He has somebody driving his chariot. But even with all of that, he's still in the wilderness. Because somebody thinks that because I got all of this excellence, that somehow I can buy my way out of experiencing the wilderness. Some of us think because I have the intellect, I can read like nobody else, that somehow I can think my way out of the wilderness. But here is a man of excellence. Here is, the, here is black excellence traveling through wilderness. And the only reason why he is traveling through the wilderness is because even with all the possessions, even with all the intellect, even with all the money, he realized that something is missing. Something is missing in my life. From the looks of things, I look like I have it all together. But there's something missing. It reminds me of my son, J3, riding around on his Paw Patrol truck. And just a few weeks ago, that Paw Patrol truck was making all the noise. That Paw Patrol song and the Paw Patrol sounds. And then one day he got on his Paw Patrol truck. He was trying to ride around the house. And he realized something was missing. He said, it ain't making no noise. I mean, the, the truck looked intact. All the pieces were put together. But he realized that there was something missing on, I ain't got no power on the inside. I ain't riding around like how I used to because there is something that is missing. And I'm speaking to somebody in this room, speaking to somebody online. It looks like you got all the pieces together. You exude black excellence. You exude success. You got all the accomplishments. All the pieces are put together. We should have seen the car you pulled up in. We should see the house that you're going to ride back and pull up at. Well, we should see all the, all the, all the uh, uh, accomplishments and all the things that you have. It looks like everything is put together, but only you and God knows that there's something missing on the inside. And if a toddler understands that I ain't riding the same because I got some power that is missing on the inside, how much more shall you and I, as we are walking through this life, the only way that you and I can really exude the excellence that God has for us is if we recognize that something is missing. And I knew that he knows that something is missing because the Bible says that he is traveling from Jerusalem going back home. Now, this is really good right here because it shows us that for this man in the text, this Ethiopian, this black man in the text, black excellence starts with the right spirituality. Notice I said it don't start with spirituality. It starts with the right spirituality. Because we got a lot of folk that say, I don't believe in Christ. I don't believe in God. I'm spiritual. What does that even mean? Here is a man who is clear on his spiritual status. How do you know? Because he went to Jerusalem 
And the text says he goes to worship. Not only does he go to worship, but as he is traveling back home from worship, he is still reading the Bible. <laughs> and I, I want to stay here for a second because I love the fact that he goes uh, to Jerusalem to worship because one thing that the writer is clear on is that this man is a eunuch. Now, Luke is writing the story. History says that Luke is writing the story, and it seems as if Luke is putting a priority on the fact that this man is a eunuch. Because, I mean, uh, he already, we don't get the name, but we get a bunch of descriptions. He's Ethiopian. He's a treasurer. You know, he's try, he got money. But the way that the text describes this individual is by the fact that he is a, a eunuch. Now, there, there, there's no children's church today, so I got to keep it all the way G. But you know what a eunuch is, right? One who is castrated, okay? Now, the fact that this man is a eunuch indicates that he is an outsider to the community, because in, De in Deuteronomy, it says that for anybody who has been castrated, you are not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. But here is a man who is a eunuch. And depending on certain circles, they even question this man's gender and sexuality. But even though he is outsider of the community, he still goes to worship. Now, I don't know the type of experience he had as a eunuch. I don't know if there was some church hurt. I don't know if he'd been rejected. I don't know if folk was talking about him because of, of the fact that he was a eunuch. I don't know the type of experience he had because of him, in fact, being an outsider. But I do know that he worshiped even though he was an outsider. Even though he had a history of church hurt, he still went to the house of God to get his worship on. Because here is a eunuch that understands when I go into the house, of God, I ain't going for the people that's there. I'm going to give God the praise and the worship that is due. So even as an outsider, he's still worshiping at the temple. And even when worship is over, he's still reading the scroll. Be because some of us, we stop our worship experience after 83 minutes at Fisher's Campus. When church is over, we over. I ain't opened up my Bible again until next Sunday. But here is a man after worship. The text says he is still reading because he is reading for understanding. It's not enough to worship if you don't even understand why you worship or who you worship being. So the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, when I leave church, I'm still going to read because the pastor was good, but he ain't say what I really needed him to say. So I need to figure this thing out. And he is reading after worship. He is reading for understanding. I know he's reading for understanding. He ain't reading just to be reading it. He ain't read the verse of the day or a little devotional out the Bible app and then checked off, you know, his check mark and said, I read the Bible today. I'm good. Nah, he is reading for understanding. How you know? Because he is asking questions. The text says that as he is reading in this chariot, going through the road of the wilderness, Philip again heard the Spirit say, walk over to that chariot. Philip walks over. And, 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 and let me just pause here because when you are on the road in the wilderness, we need some people who can act immediately to what God says. 
Immediately, Philip goes into the wilderness. Immediately, Philip walks up to the chariot. And when he walks up to the chariot, he overhears the eunuch reading from Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And notice the question, he, he, and the eunuch responds back with a question. How can I when I don't have anybody to guide me? And then notice what happens. Uh, uh, the eunuch invites the preacher in his space because he is looking for understanding. And when you are looking for understanding, it's important that you humble yourself in a way to say, I don't know what this is saying. So let me find some people that have more understanding than I do that can help me understand what this text is saying. Because I love it. Because some of us think, you know, we were brought up in a way where, saying, where people would say, uh, don't, don't question God. And we misinterpreted that into thinking that we shouldn't ask God questions. But, but no, God can deal with our small little questions. God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. They're as high as ours as the heavens are above the earth. God can deal with our questions. In fact, I got a professor, Dr. Valerie Bridgman, who says, I don't even know how you can read the Bible and not ask questions. How you gonna read? How you gonna read this this, this this scripture, these writings from thousands of years ago, from a whole other culture and a whole other experience, and you read it in 2022 and not have questions? And not only that, there's all kind of questions in the Bible. Adam, where are you? How you gonna read the Bible and not ask questions? Am I my brother's keeper? How are you going to read the Bible and not ask, how can a young person stay pure? What must I do to be saved? How are you going to read the Bible and not ask questions? So here it is. The sin ain't asking questions. Here is where you fall short. Who are you, who you taking your questions to? Because if you simply just taking it to Google, that's where you're falling short. Here is a man of possessions. Here is a man of intellect. Here is a man of black excellence. But he humbled himself in a way that he had to ask the right person the questions to find some understanding. And so he reads it and notice the question that, that he asks. Well, well, who is the writer talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And so Philip, the preacher, used this moment, the questions, to point him back to Jesus. Because if preaching needs to do anything else, it needs to take the scriptures and point it back to Jesus. There's a lot of folk that's talking in the pulpit, but ain't doing no preaching because they could be up for a whole hour and don't mention Jesus not one time. But here is Philip in the conversation in a chariot after one question took the scriptures and pointed it back to Jesus. And I love it because when he pointed it back to Jesus, there was some sense of urgency that, that, that swelled up. In this man, there was a sense of urgency. He, he was ready to go out and practice what he just, he said that there's got to be some, some action of me after I hear about Jesus. And so he says, oh, oh wait, 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 there's, and I, and I wonder how the body of water just showed up in the wilderness. I don't know if they're out the wilderness at this point or if God did what he did with Hagar and just created some body of water in the wilderness. And he pulls up and says, what is preventing me to be baptized? What a, that's a loaded question. What are the barriers between me and baptism? 
Because after I just heard the good news about Jesus, after I just heard what Jesus has done for me, there needs to be some sort of reaction, some sort of action steps after I hear the good news about Jesus. And for this Ethiopian man, he understood that I must be baptized. I must be submerged. There must be an outer experience based off of my inner belief that Jesus is Lord. So my question is for you, what is preventing you from doing what God has called you to do? After you hear the word of God, after you hear what God is speaking to you, there needs to be some sense of urgency. Maybe you've already been baptized. Maybe, maybe you've already saved. Maybe, maybe you already have a, a great relationship with God. I don't know. But, 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 but what else do you need to be submerged in? What else do you need to go all into? Maybe, maybe the word that God has for you is saying, no, you may not need to be baptized. You may not have to go all into the water, but you need to go all in with your family. You need to go all in with your ministry. You need to go all in with your dreams. You need to go all in with your career. But I don't want to take for granted that there may be somebody in the room, somebody tuned in online who isn't baptized. And let me just say, the question that he asked, what is preventing me to be baptized? Notice that Philip didn't have an answer. In fact, they just pulled up to the water. They didn't wait until they didn't wait until the particular Sunday that it needed to happen. He didn't have to fill out no form. He had to wait for the pastor to show up. It was a sense of urgency. I need to be baptized today. And it was at that moment where black excellence was baptized in the wilderness. And I love it because notice what the text says after bro got baptized. The spirit just snatched Philip up. He disappeared because sometimes that's that's what God does in our wilderness. Sometimes God may deliver you up out of the wilderness. One minute you're in the wilderness, the next minute you're on a whole nother level. But there's most of us like this Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't get caught up. Even after he got baptized, he's still in the wilderness. But notice what he does after he got baptized. The text says he went on rejoicing. Pastor Johnson said, that's how you know he's a black man. He's shouting in the wilderness. <laughs> because that's what God does for you and I. That whenever we find ourselves in the wilderness experience, know that God is moving. Know that God can create a road for you, a road of direction, a road of clarity, a road of purpose. And don't allow your wilderness experience to blind you from the fact that God is moving. It was Hagar. She was a single parent, kicked out of some dysfunctional family, settled in the wilderness, crying tears. And the Bible says that God showed up in her wilderness and provided a well full of water. And her needs were met in the wilderness. It was the children of Israel lost on their way to the promised land, wandering around the wilderness But the Bible says that God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They gave them guidance and leadership even while they were in the wilderness. It was Ezekiel in that low down, dark, defeated valley. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God blew in that situation and those bones begin to connect and life begin to emerge out of that dark valley. 
Jesus Christ had to experience the wilderness being tempted by Satan, but he learned in the wilderness that God has a word even for the temptations that the devil has for us because God knows how to bring excellence out of the wilderness. God knows how to bring life out of the wilderness. God knows how to bring love out of the wilderness. In fact, it was while Jesus was dying on the cross on a hill called Calvary, thrown in a borrowed tomb, but three days later, God brought salvation out of that dead situation to the point where whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there anybody in the room that can testify that when you're going to destiny, you got to go through the wilderness, but God has a road for you to get to the place that God has for you.